Well, we have the privilege of opening up the Word, our Bibles today, to the book of 2 Samuel. As we work our way through the book, 2 Samuel, and we are looking at chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. If you're not quite sure where that is, please feel free to look up in the front of your Bible, find a page number for 2 Samuel, and then find chapter 7. Last, or two weeks ago, we noted in the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 17, that we have a record of what Bible teachers refer to as the Davidic covenant. Remember, a covenant is a, a binding agreement between two parties. And in this covenant, God binds himself by his own character, who he is, to do what he says he will do for David and his descendants after him. And God promised that David would not only be the king over all of Israel, but that David's descendants would reign on David's throne forever over God's kingdom. From this very important passage, Israel started as this as the jumping off point, started looking for a Messiah. Remember that the word Messiah is a Hebrew word that's equivalent to the Greek word for Christ. So that when we talk about the Christ or the Messiah, we're talking about the same thing, the anointed one, the one that would fulfill these promises of Second Samuel chapter 7. From these verses that we saw two weeks ago, we are looking for one to fulfill these verses, a son of David who is also referred to as a son of God. So that when Jesus came, recorded for us in the Gospels, in the heavens, God spoke from the heavens and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We have confirmation that Jesus Christ, as a son of David, as the son of God, is indeed the one to whom these verses ultimately point. It's from these verses that that we have a future hope of Jesus Christ reigning on David's throne forever and ever. Three thousand-year-old promises that give us confidence that this is indeed God's word, because we've seen it already partially fulfilled and will come to ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. David, in the first part of these verses, told God, I want to build a house for you, meaning a place of worship, a permanent, beautiful place of worship. And God told David, no, you're not the man that I've chosen for that, but I'm going to build a house for you. Different kind of house. Not a place for him to live in physically, but rather a dynasty, a series of descendants who would ultimately sit one of whom would ultimately sit on his throne forever and ever. So as we come to verses 18 through the end of the chapter, we find David's response to these phenomenal promises that God has made to him. David's not discouraged that God said, no, you can't build me a house, but rather he is filled with thanks, with praise, and with confidence as he responds back to God. So as I read these verses, you follow along in your copy of the Scripture, looking for David's response to the promises of God. 
Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what's my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, for the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there's none like you. There's no God besides you, according to all that we've heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you've redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established yourself, your people Israel, as your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever, and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and may the house of your servant David be established for you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing may the house of your servant be blessed forever. Great promises God has just made to David. And now David responds with thankfulness, with praise, and then almost unexpectedly, boldness and confidence. Prior to coming to Faith Bible Church 19 and a half years ago, I pastored a church up in the Red River Valley of North Dakota for seven and a half years. And in that church was a woman named Marion. Marion was a godly woman. I believe she's with Jesus now. She was humble. She was just had a quiet spirit about her. Just a picture of a servant of Jesus Christ. And one day she came to me in a very quiet voice and said, Pastor, I'm afraid I've offended you. And I looked at Marion and I thought, Marion, how could you offend anyone? I, you are the least offensive person I know. How could you have possibly offended me? And she said, well, several weeks ago I was walking and you walked past and you didn't say hi. And I said, well, Marion, half the time my mind is somewhere else, and I apologize, but I probably just didn't notice that, that you walked past, but I apologize to her. But what a gracious demonstration of Jesus lived out. Just a humble woman. David 
in these verses is a humble man. He refers to himself as God's servant ten times in this little brief section. And yet he does something at the end of the section that's going to surprise us. He actually commands God. He orders God to do something. That seems like, whoa. It'd be like Marion up in North Dakota ordering someone to do something. I just can't imagine it. But we're going to see David ordering God to do something, but we're going to see that he still does it with humbleness. And he doesn't do it for himself. So as we, as we begin to unlock these, this response of David's promises to God, this is important for us to see because it gives us a model for how we should be responding to the promises of God. Just like David, we should begin with being thankful. And that's what David does here. In fact, we're going to see there's actually a subtle difference between being thankful to God and praising God, and David does both. Notice in verse 18, it says, Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord. Now, where did he go, and where was he sitting, and how did he sit before the Lord? Well, remember, several weeks ago we saw in the previous chapters, David became the unified king over all of Israel, Jerusalem became the capital, and he brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, erected a temporary tent for it, and placed the Ark in the tent. Remember that the Ark of the Covenant was a box, a wooden box, overlaid uh, with a a cover of overlaid gold with two images of angels above it. And inside the box were the tablets of the Old Testament law, was a vial of manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and God affirmed to Israel that above the Ark of the Covenant, and it's hard for us to grasp how this is possible, because God is spirit, he's present everywhere, but he assured Israel that that Ark of the Covenant, that box with those angelic images above it, would be his throne. So in some sense, God was present amongst Israel, enthroned above the Ark of the Covenant. Here, David has entered into that temporary tent that he erected for the Ark of the Covenant and is actually seated before the Ark, and he starts to talk to God. And he says to the Lord here in these verses, a great statement of just humble thanks, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord God, And what's my house that you have brought me this far? You see, David's not talking about his physical house. He's talking about his line, his family, his descendants. And he says, who are we? I'm just a shepherd boy. My dad's Jesse. We have nothing that would cause you to make me the king over all Israel. Who am I? But thank you. You did it anyway. And that spirit of thankfulness and humbleness is seen as we go into verse 19. He said, and yet even you bringing me to be the king is insignificant in comparison to the rest of your promise because you've promised that my descendants would sit on my throne. Oh, Lord God, you've spoken also of the house of your servant according to the distant future. You've done all of this. 
thank you. In fact, down in verse 21, he says, for the sake of your word, you have done this. Possibly referring clear back to the book of Genesis chapter 49, when God promised that Judah, out of Judah, would come kings. David thanks God. But he doesn't stop there. He starts to praise God. When we thank someone, we are the subject. God, thank you for providing for the needs of our family. God, thank you for giving us peace during a time of trial. God, thank you for protecting us. God, thank you for helping me. But when we praise someone, they become the subject. My wife is a great pie baker. She learned from her grandmother in central Kansas, who is a farmer's wife. So if Barbara makes a pie and I say to her, Barb, thanks for the pie. I really enjoyed it. It was really good. I'm still the subject. Thank you for doing that for me. But if I want to praise Barbara, she becomes the subject and I lift her up above myself by making her the subject of a declarative statement. Barbara, you are the best pie baker I've ever known. You are the best pie baker at Faith Bible Church. You're the best pie baker in Cedar Rapids. You're the best pie baker in Iowa. You're the best pie baker west of the Mississippi River. Barbara, there's no daughter of men who's a better pie baker than you. That's praise. You see, she becomes the subject. I'm lifting her up above myself. And that's exactly what David does here. He doesn't stop at just thanking God. He praises him. Notice verse 23. Ah, excuse me, verse 22. For this reason, you are great. You see, he's, he's shifted from just thanking God to praising Him. He's declaring something about who God is. He's declaring something about God's attributes. You are a great God. That's praise. You redeemed a people for yourself. There's no one like you, verses 22 and 23. Verse 24, O Lord, you've become Israel's God. This is what you have done. David, in thinking about the promises of God, responds not only with thanking God, he also praises him by declaring who he is, what he has done, what his attributes are. I've got a good friend who almost 30 years ago was hurt in an egg-related uh, accident. And his spinal cord was severed, and for almost 30 years he has been in a, in a chair. He was a brand new dad. He only had uh, he had a two week old little baby boy when his accident happened, and he was farming full time with his dad. Now what's he going to do? Once he got healed up, he went over to a local welding shop in uh, Portland, North Dakota. Nobody's heard of Portland, North Dakota. 
Lute Olson is from Portland, North Dakota. That's their claim to fame. It actually, you pull in the sign, the home of Lute Olson. There you go. So he goes to this little welding shop in Portland, North Dakota, and says, i got to keep farming. And the guy that ran the shop built lifts for him for every tractor, for the combine, for the grain trucks, so that he could take his chair, position it right next to the lift. He did a transfer, lifted himself up, transferred into the tractor, and boom, he's off. And he's still farming today, almost 30 years later. When you ask him about that welder at that shop, he's thankful for that guy. But his, his, he doesn't stop just at thanks. He praises him. He is such a creative man. He did this for me. And God does through David what you and I need to be doing as well in a proper response to his provision for us, his promises for us. We need to thank him and we need to praise him. Thanks comes more easy for us. God, thank you for doing this for me. We're commanded to be thankful. For example, if you turn over to the book of Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6, very familiar verses, ones that, these Awana kids that have like 900 verses memorized, they put us all, put me to shame, but I do have a few memorized. This is one, I'm going to read it because I'd probably mess it up if I uh, didn't, but Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have claimed that promise for years. But I always felt like, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working for me? Because I claim this, and I, I just I feel like my heart and my mind is not being guarded. And one day, as I was reading over those verses again, there's a little phrase there that stuck out that I wasn't doing. It not only tells us to bring our request to God, but it tells us very specifically in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I was just struck right between the eyes because that's what I wasn't doing. I would make, I would ask God for a lot of things, but I wasn't thanking him. And so slowly I have tried to change in my prayer life so that when I come to him and I make my request to him, I start with thanks. Thank you for this. Thank you for this work that you are doing in my children. Thank you for this. And that's exactly what David does here. He starts with thanks. God has just made this phenomenal promise to him. What's his first response? Thank you. I didn't deserve it. Then he moves to praise. Praise is more difficult for us. Remember, it happens in a declarative statement about the other person. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, he shifted to praise in verse 22 when he said, You are great, O Lord. You see, now God's the subject. 
And that doesn't come natural for us. That's why I so appreciate our music when we are able to sing together as a church family. Because if you'll notice, we sing songs that declare who God is. Go back and look at the words of 10,000 Reasons that we sang today. And look how much of that song is declaring who God is. And as we sing it, we can sing it to God, and we are actually doing the same thing that David's doing here. It doesn't come easy for us, but we can grow in that. David, when he first approaches God, starts out with thanks and praise. Then he does something that just blows us away. If you look at verses 25 through 29, he starts out by thanking God, he praises God, and then he commands God. How can you do that? How can you actually use an imperative, a command to God? How bold, how confident, how can he do that? Look at verse 25. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant in his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. Those are both commands. There are commands in the Hebrew language. There are commands in our English translations. David comes to God with a command. How can he do that? How can he be so bold And by the way, in doing it, he gives us a model as believers. In response to God's promises, we thank him, we praise him, and then here we can see that we can can approach God with confidence to ask him to carry out his promises. Remember, we have a God who always does what he says he will do. We have a God who always does what he says he will do. Here, David says, God, you've promised it, now do it. What boldness, what confidence. How can he do that? Well, it tells us right in the text. If you look down at verse 27, David explains how he can be so bold, how he can have such confidence in his prayer life. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the one who is the Lord of all the armies of heaven, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. You see, David tells us why he's so confident, why he can be so bold. It's because God promised him. And he speaks that back to God. He says, God, I am so bold in my prayer. I'm so confident in my prayer because you said to me that you would do this, that you're going to make a house out of me, a line that will sit upon my throne forever. That's why I'm so bold. That's why I'm so confident, David tells the Lord. And notice it's not for him. If you go to verse 26... He says that your name may be magnified forever. Lord, you've promised this. Now do it so that your name will be magnified. Remember, when the Bible talks about the name of God, it's talking about much more than just the address 
Elohim or God or Lord. It's talking about who God is in all of his attributes, his character. And so here what David is saying, you've promised a house, a line of descendants will come from me. Now do it, Lord, so that you will be lifted up, you will be praised, you will be magnified, that people will see that you are a God who always does what he says he will do, that you are a great God who always honors his promises. That's how David has boldness and confidence in his prayer life because he has confidence in the promises of God. And the New Testament tells us that you and I are to have that same bold, confident approach in coming to our Heavenly Father. One of the favorite things I have that happens at the office during the week is when the other pastors of Faith Bible Church have their children come and visit Dad. I just love that because I don't have any little ones anymore. My boys are all grown up. And to see little Avery and Henry and Joshua come and they, it's so funny because like oftentimes we'll get salespeople to come and they'll come in and say, I'd kind of like to talk to the person that's in charge of this. And I know you're probably going to kick me out of here, but I'd really like to talk to them if I could, you know, and they just, there's like this timidness. But when the pastor's kids come, they own the place. I'm here to see my dad, and my dad wants to see me, and I'm going to go see him right now, and he's going to be so happy to see me because he's my dad, and I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and it just makes me smile. And that's the relationship that we are to have with our Heavenly Father. You see, that's the confidence and the boldness that we have. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Him. And there's some verses that, that talk about that in the New Testament. I just want to share a couple of those with us this morning just to remind us of that, that confident approach that, that we can have that boldness. Hebrews chapter 4.16 is one of my my favorite ones when it just talks about that boldness that we can have. It says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy if I'm grace to help in time of need. Ephesians 3.11 and 12 just talks about the boldness that we have in Christ, this relationship that we have. Why? Because just as David is the recipient of covenant promises, we're recipient of covenant promises. If you go a little bit farther in your Old Testament, remember in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and and uh, uh, 22, we see this covenant that God made with Abraham. I'm going to make of you, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make innumerable descendants that come from you. And then he makes this covenant with David. And, and he tells David, kings are going to come from you. And you're, they're going to reign on your throne forever. And then we come to Jeremiah chapter 31. And God says in verses 31 through 34 of Jeremiah 31, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And here's what it's going to be. 
you're not even the law, the Old Testament law, it's going to be written on your heart. And we know from Joel chapter 2 that that comes to the outpouring of the Spirit of God. That God's people will have the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. We're going to be, God's people will have a relationship with him. And then he says, I'm going to forgive your sin and I'll remember it no more. And you know what the New Testament tells us? It tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become recipients of those covenant promises. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 refers to Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant. We enter into those blessings of that new covenant. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24 shares the same thing, that in faith in Christ we have a new heart. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We have a relationship and He is our God and we are His people. We have our sin forgiven as far as the East is from the West. We're recipients of promise. I think one of the reasons in my own life why sometimes I feel like my spiritual life is anemic and I don't have the joy in my life that I need and I don't see the fruit of the Spirit is because I'm not, I go through periods where I'm not taking in and reminding myself of God's promises by staying as much as I should in this book. There is nothing more important in the Christian life than being with brothers and sisters in Christ, staying in fellowship with the local assembly of, of believers, and staying in the Word and talking with God. Staying in the Word corporately as with brothers and sisters in Christ, and staying in the Word individually. And, and, and having the Scripture, the only book that God ever wrote, how He talks with us, be our encourager and allow the Spirit of God to take the words of this book and remind us of all the promises that He's made. We see that lived out in Scripture because, and I've looked at this parallel with you many times, in Ephesians 5.18, it tells us that we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. Not to let alcohol control us, let the Spirit of God control us. And then in verses 19 and following, we see the results of that. We'll have thankfulness, we'll have joy, we'll have, we'll be able to yield our hearts to our brothers and sisters in Christ and not guard our own turf. There'll be a, a love there. If you go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, you see the same exact list of results. That you'll have thankfulness, you'll have praise in your heart, you'll yield yourself to brothers and sisters in Christ. But instead of that verse saying, be filled with the Spirit, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How do I do that? I stay in the book. I become a man or a woman of the book. I start every day having a steady diet of the book. Why is that so important? Because how do I know the promises of God unless I let God talk to me? What did David do here? He went and met with God. He put himself in a position where he could talk with God. He went into that tent, sat before the Lord, and he talked with God. 
He talked with God, but he also listened to God. For him, the prophet Nathan came. For us, God comes to us in this book. And then, when David was reminded of the promises, he responded with thankfulness and praise, and then a renewed boldness in his prayer life. He could just go to God. said, God, you've promised this. I'm claiming it. I, 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 I'm claiming it because you always do what you say you'll do. You are always faithful to your word. You've promised it. I'm boldly, with confidence, claiming that today. You see, we can respond to God's promises the same way that David did. With thanks and praise and confidence. You may be here today and you aren't totally sure about where you stand with God. One of our elders will be back in the prayer room. I'd encourage you to go back and just introduce yourself. Our elder back there, one of our leaders, will have some material he can just hand to you. You can take out your own Bible and read in your Bible how you can know for sure that you're in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you're burdened. You've got uh, stuff that's going on in your life that just seems unbearable. I encourage you to just go spend some time praying. Exercise some confident approach to your Heavenly Father who wants you to come talk with Him. Father, I thank you for these verses. Thank you for the hope they give us, the reminder that you are a God who always does what you say you'll do, that you are a God who always honors his promises. Help us to have a hunger for that, to actually have a thirst to be with you, to have a hunger to... to. Uh, Know what you want to say to us. Remind us that, that it makes you happy when your children come see you and talk with you. Give us that joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.